Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. And you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, Chris, I, I'm going to make an announcement right at the top of the show today. We don't have an interview today. <laughs> <laughs> okay? I, I know some of our listeners jump on. You've been, you've been slacking, man, because i got to say, last week you weren't here. I had to do one solo with, with I, I did with have Nick. to take off for some personal and, reasons. And, uh, yep. you know, I'll tell you what, it is nerve-wracking doing this by myself. Or yeah. with, you know, someone that's not you. I use you to kind of, you know, feed off of. And uh, I'm the anchor, yeah. and and you're the plankton on the bottom yes, of the boat. Yes, yes. okay, yes. I like it. Uh, today we're going to do something a little bit yes. different. <laughs> we we've done something similar to this in the past. We're going to go through and and kind of get caught up on all of our messages and get caught up on the listeners, you guys who have made this show possible, reaching out to us and just try to answer some of these questions we've been getting here recently. Uh, so the first one I got at the top here is from Jesse Casper. I built an equal-length 12-valve Cummins manifold with 15-inch by 1.75-inch 10. Oh, I'm sorry. 1.75-inch SCH10 with a T6 foot. You following me, Chris? Yep. Does the equal length help with spooling the turbo or just better flow in general? Have not had the time to get it on the dyno yet. What do you think it will do compared to a speed, I'm sorry, to a speed steed exhaust? Speed, speed. Thank you. Uh, not competition one. Thanks in advance. Love listening to the podcast. Keep up the great work. So I don't know. Right, we have never done that testing. I generally like to speak on behalf of something that I have facts to back up. But what I would say is, um, a lot of in the Cummins world over the years, I have seen guys try to do some like equal length tubular headers. Yeah, and they don't keep up. They don't. They don't keep up with heat. My my gut says not going to be the improvement you're looking for. No. And we run into this a lot across all of the platforms. Uh, if a little is good, more is better. Yeah, so people look at space and, and size and they say, well, I could fit bigger bigger intercooler pipes in here, bigger intakes in here, yeah. uh, bigger downpipes in here. I had somebody asking for a five-inch downpipe the other day. That's not a thing, by the way. Um, but but w- what we talk about often is is the amount of engineering that goes into airflow and how air flows. Uh, It's not it's not always exactly what you would think that give it more room to have more air and you're going to get more flow. Yeah. Uh, probably not. No. A, a great example of this, go back, check out our video series we did with Gail Banks about head swirl. So you can actually look that up, head swirl. I think a lot of that that science and a lot of that uh, engineering there would translate really well over to talking about your exhaust manifold. Yeah, I also want to just touch on, I never realized, you know, we, we talk so much about exhaust gas temperatures, things like that. And, you know, if you're making power, you're generating heat and that kind of thing. And, you know, we talk about what a safe EGT is. All that temperature, that, that temperature is funneled, those gases, that, that heat is funneled through that manifold. And when you have a tubular header, there's more weaknesses with the welds and where all the joints come in, right, where everything yeah. touches. Um you know, there's no secret. We've talked about this in the past. I have a, a a car that I built a motor in, and all these things. And I've gone through three different tubular headers on that car because the heat just kills the header. Well, if you if you just think about it in general, what you're doing is is once you go to this equal length concept, mm-hmm. um, how are you controlling airflow to the furthest point from center? So so you're. You're you're never going to get an equal amount of airflow across it if all you did was was make it equal length yep. and, and put your the 
the inlet of air it directly in the center of yeah. it. it that that's why they're not that way from the factory right. b- because it, it's probably not the most efficient way to distribute the actual airflow coming in so yes. th- that's kind of what i would look at um Okay, I got another quick one here. Ryan Carbomb, Chris, this was before your time. Ryan Carbomb, first interview on Diesel Performance Podcast ever. Uh, So this is a a deep throwback. He actually just shot us a message asking us how we're doing. Ryan, we're doing fucking great, man. We're always doing great. Uh, No, but Ryan's got a great truck. (laughs) Old Dodge is still running. Pushing 450,000 miles as we speak. Hell yeah. Uh, running same setup as before, just with a 467.7 uh, turbo and a second-gen manifold swap and HP tuners tunes, putting down 821. Wow, at 450,000 miles. Yeah, got the truck from his dad. That's so. awesome. Ryan's super cool guy. Uh, we definitely appreciate you You're writing in here, getting a hold of us. Uh, I got another one. This is from another guy who's been on the show a few times. Mike Agan and Ag- and Agnastu, and if you see how his name Alaska. is spelled, you will think that I pronounce that totally Alaska correct. Alaska brethren, um, but Paul, you a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that that may or may not be true, but I don't think I don't think having to have been from Alaska or gone to Alaska is the determination. Uh, okay, so let's see. That's something the weak-minded would say. <laughs> you also haven't been. What are you talking about? <laughs> you also are a pussy. I don't I know if work. you follow this. I have to work. I, what, 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 I forgot I'm a charity Dude. events all day. Okay. Well, you know what? Hey, feeding the you. homeless. Thank that's you. what I do over thank here. You. No big deal. Well, you help feed the sales guys, so pretty right. much. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know they won't let me away. Who would sweep the floors? At home. All right. Uh, Mike says, hey, guys, long time. The, fi- the funnel cake in the urinal has to be clean. <laughs> Sorry. Do you on. call it the funnel cake? Yeah, isn't that what they call it? The urinal cake? Funnel cake? It's all the same. I will never eat funnel cake again <laughs> for as long as I live. All right. <laughs> Longtime fan and listener of the podcast, had the luxury of being on a couple of episodes with Paul and Chris and had a lot of fun. There's a lot of great tech info and cool guests that I personally love hearing from. So I guess my question is, we're all chasing more power in some way. How far is too far? Have you gone too far already? Or have you built your setup in a way that left you room to grow should your plans change? What's the right way? I'm not swinging with any heavy hitters here in a 7.3 power stroke, but the truck overall could be 600 rear wheel horsepower capable. Oh, I tried to get through that with a straight face uh, with what it has. I love it for what it is, but I certainly sacrifice some reliability and daily drivability for the power. That's the choices I made. But for those of you that have been deep into your power stroke, Cummins or Duramax build, what kind of advice do you find yourself giving others? Uh, starting out with on a similar platform. Do you advise them to go straight for the big parts or starting out with the entry-level stuff? Would you do it the same a second go-around? I love that question. Or would you have built the truck an entirely different way or even chosen a different platform? I get guys all the time that ask me after just buying their first 7.3, how can I make 500 horsepower out of my truck? And I find myself either saying don't or save your money and Buy any RPO Duramax and put EFI Live on it. Do you regret it? Do you still love it? Chris, Paul, Nick, Justin, weigh in. Throw some pics of your diesel financial mistakes. There is a PS here that that I'll read. Uh, it just says, y'all pussies for not coming to Alaska this summer. You, Paul it was Wilson. It was 100 degrees and y'all missed it. Nice. 
They they say y'all he, in Alaska? He said y'all when he was referring to you and Justin. I know he wasn't <laughs> talking to me like that. Um, <laughs> Yo, P-Dub. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, one. That's a loaded ass. First off, that's a loaded ass question. We don't even need to recap. Right? Yeah. Like that, that was loaded. Yeah. I felt it. I got chills. Justin gave me a dirty ass look. Like, yo, I know you have something to say. Well, well, here it is. Okay, Chris, you did that that third gen build with the regular cab two wheel drive. Would you do it again? I had an 800 horse 12 valve prior to that. <laughs> right. Would you do? Okay. Not an answer. Would you Would you do the third gen regular cab? Would you do the same build the same way twice? No. What would you do differently? Not do it. Just not never start it? No. That truck was so much fun. No. I mean, I'll tell you I mean, what, for the week I, you owned it while it was running. He's getting old. Let's look at it this way, okay? <laughs> so in my career here, okay, I had I had the 12, yep. the 12 Elf. Uh, we did the common rail build. Um, and then I didn't do a truck. I did a car, right? We, we know about the car. You've heard all these crazy Garbage, stories. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, probably the best thing you've ever looked at. Um, <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> but- what I would say is, is you know, maybe it's you get a little older. You know, we've talked about this in, in prior podcasts. Um, you have an idea of what your goal is, okay? And you put this uh, anticipation on a pedestal, right? Like, this is what you anticipate this to be like. Yeah. Okay? Um, and you have a budget in mind, and that the budget is never met. You've always exceeded it. Um, and then you get it all done. It makes the power. It runs. You, you give it that first couple pulls on the street and it, it's like damn awesome <laughs> and then you're like man something's gonna break this is gonna cost me more money and uh it just to me it's just it never it, i've never been able to do something where it met my expectation yeah okay maybe my expectation's a little more wild maybe it's you know i'm spoiled with being here and having access to some really cool projects and being part of a lot of cool stuff with customers and, how, and other dealers how many, how many crazy things have we driven just for the podcast yeah exactly and um <laughs> You know, I mean, the thing here is, is that at the end of the day, you know, the, the silver truck, my, my, my 07 made a lot of sense because there was some practicality still there. Okay. But that seat of the pants feel, I could have done it on probably eight to $10,000 less of money. Sure. Okay. Um, as far as like end, end user, like retail costs. I mean, you did that one on a pretty tight budget. I did. No, I really did. I mean, Especially that wasn't, at the, you know. I mean, for, yeah. as, for as reliable as that truck ended up being, yeah, I mean, the I, guy who bought it from you rolled it before he broke it. So yeah. to me, that says so, everything. Yeah, for, like, for our listeners, right? So uh, I, I built the truck. I was broke. I had no money. I, yeah. I think I had like $100 in my checking account. I had no savings. Um, but the truck was paid for. Everything was paid for. And uh, one of our really good customers wanted the truck as a daily. And he ended up buying it from me. The guy lived in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, his name was Adam. And uh, Adam put about 15,000, 18,000 miles on that truck in his ownership. And that was within like t- nine months. And he was driving from Maryland to Tennessee, back to Michigan, like all over. He got into an accident, flipped the truck, totaled it. The truck was running upside down. That truck was sold to another gentleman. That gentleman put like another twenty, thirty thousand on it, sold it to another guy. Long story short, the power plant has been swapped over into another truck. That power plant now has almost sixty plus thousand miles on it. Do you remember when we found that truck being sold at the auction yeah, after I was it got rolled? We were trying to buy it back. Trying to buy it yeah. back. So you know, again, a very reliable, robust setup, and I'd never would have thought that it would have lasted as long. The trans, the engine, the whole nine yards, which is really cool to see that. You know, that was the first motor I put together all myself. Yeah. Right. Like the at the time, our old tech Owen built the trans, and yeah, I did things relatively on a budget. I I know that. Um, 
but you look at everything as a whole, there's a lot of trucks that I drive, like stock injector trucks, stock pump trucks, making 600 wheel, and that's just equally as fun. Like, equally as fun. It really is. And it, it didn't break the bank. So, you know, when guys call in or they want to do a big build, now, this isn't everyone, right? We have the guys who, you know, they have a daily driver and they have a truck that sits in their garage and their truck is their old muscle car or is their Corvette, you know, and they want to build it. They want this power. They understand the consequences. Great. That guy has something and, and has an idea in his head and has an understanding of how to utilize the power. But to most guys, like myself getting into this industry, I got into diesel because I wasn't able to have two or three vehicles. Sure. Okay. So my my daily driver was going to be my weekend warrior, was going to be my race my race vehicle, my tow vehicle. It was everything in one. And the diesel was most applicable to make that possible. Yes. Now you start tinkering and start building it, right? 600, 700, 800, 900. Now today, the new, the new realistic number is 1,000. Like, if you're not making 1,000, you're not shit. That's so funny. Right? That's actually the response I posted to Mike. On, and, uh, I included that yeah. in there. It was like, it all depends on what your goals are. Because it, five years ago, a 1,000 horsepower and streetable, just the only way to put those together was not. Yeah. Like a thousand horsepower is not streetable. Yeah. That's five years ago. Now, a thousand horsepower, that's like you could do a family daily driver we, and have it do a thousand horsepower yeah. up top like the Durber. Yeah, like the Burb. Um so like the, there's all sorts of options. So as technology changes yep. and as better parts come out to the market and, now here's and the flip things side like of that, that we, you... we have some advantages. But what I will say is is back to your original point, which I think is like Knowing what you're going to get, I mean, the difference between 600 and 800 horsepower for somebody who's going to daily drive the truck and is in, never going to be in a competition, like, I don't know. I don't know that I would notice. I've driven a whole lot of high horsepower vehicles in the last 10 years or whatever. Um, dude, I really don't know that my ass could tell the difference well, between 600 and 800 horsepower on the street. Let's flip up something. Your pocketbook knows the difference in two scenarios <laughs> because when you're doing this budget and you have this idea in mind and, and you know not only did you out budget or under budget for the build, but 800 horsepower is hard on parts. A transmission's going through, getting refreshed every year, universal joints, brakes. I know. mean, we're both thinking Duramax or Cummins build here. Right I to mean, be like six, eight hundred horsepower. Yeah. I would imagine Power Stroke falls into the I same. Mean, it, it doesn't matter what platform it is. There's go, wear items. Yeah, to go over like seven hundred, it just that's and to me, I guess I look at decisions like this in a very mathematical way. As it is in, I don't get driven by the passion of like I'm going to put down four digits on that dyno yeah. and everybody in there is going to want to touch my pecker. Never thought that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I never thought like oh if I have the highest horsepower I'm going to have the coolest truck or I'm going to be the coolest guy. I guess want to be the neighborhood to hero. Me, like there, there's a certain amount of personal enjoyment and cost. Yeah. And as soon as I figure out where those two lines intersect, that's what my goal is. Yeah. Uh, not everybody's like that. Some guys, like I know when you were building the Cummins, like I remember you saying like, oh, this is just something I always wanted. Same thing when you were building the Evo. This is just a car I always wanted. Logic had nothing no. to do with your decisions. No, no. And I mean, honest, <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, like, you know, uh, recently I've, I've had some, uh, you know, different thought processes and I'm, I'm going to, I'm getting in the process to get rid of the car, right? It's yeah. going to be parting ways. And uh, it was something, you know, uh, that car, the truck to it, they ran me through ringers, man. They, they ran me through scenarios that I didn't expect. They made me very uncomfortable financially with putting money and time into something that I didn't necessarily plan or want to. But it was a goal that I wanted to achieve. 
Yeah. And I did it. And it's not impressive. Like working here and having that car, there's nothing impressive about it. It's something I've wanted for a very long time. God, I've said that to you so many you know? times. And the truck too. You know what? The truck, I mean, it was a lot of fun, a ton of learning. Like that, that was a learning, that, that was a college, that was a college semester, right? Like I learned so much on that truck. It wasn't even funny. I needed it. Yeah. You know, the tuning, the setup, everything. I, I learned a lot from that. You mean a college experience? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> collage experience. Inside joke there. But, uh, you know, no. So I, I think and you'll find a lot of time, a lot of guys. If 1,000 horsepower or 800 horsepower was so effective and achievable, you would be seeing the top guys over at GDP, the top guys over at Duramax Tuner, the top guys over at PPI cruising around in eight, 900 horse trucks. They don't. They have tune-only trucks with maybe a turbo drop-in, and that's what they're using on a day-in, day-out scenario because it makes financial don't, sense. Don't pull the curtain back that far, friend. What it, are you doing? I'm just saying. We all, everybody who works here drives an amazing 1,000-horsepower daily driver. <laughs> that's a prerequisite to even – we actually we, – they standard issue them with our uniforms. I mean, so. but you have – but at the same time, the enthusiast you know, market is strong. There's a lot of trucks that are out there that are making big power. We have a ton of guys, customers, friends, dealers that do drive high horsepower trucks. Can I just say it's it's also it's hard to remember sometimes of like when you don't work in the, in this industry and like you're a fan of this industry. Sometimes just what it costs for a normal guy to go out and drop four or five grand on a transmission, two grand That's on a turbo, insane. twelve hundred, fifteen hundred bucks on a insane. on a tuner, another four or five hundred bucks on monitors and gauges. Right. I, I mean, by the time you rack it up, I think of being like. I have a family. I have a job. I love what I do. I I drive a vehicle. I have a problem pinching the pennies to like I don't know run it through a good car wash instead of a cheap yeah. car wash once a week. Like sometimes when I think of like what what that passion or what that need is, what that problem is that you're solving, that a four or five thousand dollar transmission or or ten thousand dollars of upgrades or fifty thousand dollars of upgrades to go sled pulling, I forget what type of passion that takes. And I think that's one of the things that Mike and Agnastu was asking us, yeah. uh, which is like. What does it take to keep you in this? Because we've also seen guys get wore out. And yeah. we've seen guys who have come in, made a big splash, make a bunch of power, do really cool shit, and then, and then the, the truck breaks sale. and they're like, yeah, I'm going out. to buy a fucking F-150. I mean, like, again, you know, <laughs> you know? To, to, to round this all off, you know, there is a passion. Guys have goals in mind. You do it because it's something that you wanted to do. I would not knock anyone for it. Flip side of that, the salesman in me here, when guys call in and they want to make these crazy power numbers, I tell them all the time, man, I'd love to take your money. I'd love to help out and, and be that guy. But I want to have that end person see a value for what they're investing their their time, money you know, into. Yeah. And to, to touch base on, on one of the questions Mike asked, any guy that ever calls into this shop, and if it's not myself, any of the other sales guys, customer service guys, they will never, ever coach someone through Oh, you have a stock truck? Let's make it a 1,000 horse. Absolutely that, not. That's Every, such a rare... Every, insane everything is in does. stages everything's yeah. in stages and i try to talk guys into that let's do a stage one and I, we don't do stage builds but you know let's go into this in a process let's go this route round one yeah let's have some fun this is what round two looks like maybe round two is is enough we don't have to go to round four right you know you don't know but uh you know, again, a lot of time, money, money and emotion goes into these things. And, uh, you know, everyone has their own justification for it. Oh, sure, man. So, hey. All right. Uh, next one comes up from Aaron Clay. He posted this on the, I'm sorry, and so was the last one from Mike on the Diesel Performance Podcast Q&A Facebook group. Um, Aaron says, 
Might be an easy question, but I can't get a solid answer in any other group. I'm looking for a pyrometer, boost, and transmission temperature gauge from an ISPRO R12000 series, and I can't find the ones I have in mind along with a pillar. Any help uh, on sites that have them in stock? I have part numbers if that helps any. Thank you. Love the show. Uh, please help me with my first diesel truck. My first question is, what kind of truck do you have? He says, O3 Duramax. Any reason you don't want to run an Edge Insight CTS2 monitor? Yeah, I mean, Chris, manual gauges, digital gauges. Let's talk about the differences. So, you know, I think back in, you know, 2013, 2014 when I started working here, and I remember Nick's old Cummins tuner truck. It was a white crew cab short bed, 06 Cummins, and it had uh, a couple of uh, mechanical gauges, and then it had an Edge Insight CTS. Yeah. And we're driving it, and Nick had asked me, so, you know, what's boost that here? You know, just trying to get more acclimated with the truck. And I was like, well, the edge shows this. I was like, but I don't really believe that. And he's like, well, why? And I'm like, well, I don't really believe in electronic gauges. Now, you have to keep in mind, back then, I came from mechanical injection stuff, where it was sure. all mechanical gauges. And he goes, well, why don't you think that the gauge display is accurate? And I'm like, well, you know, it's electronic reading. I was like, there's so many, you know, errors that could potentially come about. And he's like, yeah. He goes how do you tune the truck? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, when you go tune the truck, you know, what do we do? And I was like, well, we manipulate, you know, the ECM, you know, the calibration gets loaded in. He's like, and what does the ECM communicate with? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it works with sensors. You know, it's all sensors. I'm like, yeah. He goes in the edge, monitor is reading off the same sensors that the ECM is commanding for the truck to do what it's supposed to do. So how could they be inaccurate? If anything, they're more accurate than what those other gauges could potentially be because if the truck's incorrect, the gauge is going to show that. And everything kind of, you know, everything kind of And there was like clicked. this big light bulb that well, just went off right above Chris's then, head. Then because I'm, because I'm not all there, I'm, I'm half special at times, <laughs> three quarters of the time, there was a boost gauge. Right above, uh, there was a boost in an EGT, a, uh, a boost in a fuel pressure. Yeah. And the f boost and fuel pressure were analog gauges, and then the edge monitor had everything. And they were right in line, like uh, to a T, right? Yeah. Now, what I would say to fast forward till now, some people just prefer the analog gauges. Some people prefer a three pillar or a two pillar pod. They like that look, okay? And, and, and they just, you know, they, it's more of a look than anything. Okay, here's here's my thing. One pillar gauges. I'm I'm six foot tall. I'm not especially tall. I'm not especially short. Yeah. Um, I hit my head on pillar gauges or smack my hand on pillar gauges on an almost regular basis, getting in and out of trucks that have them. Um, two, they they take up. It's not a lot, but they do take up a little bit more of uh, my vision. So where I can see, it's it's a kind of an important spot right there on the pillar. Yep. Uh, I don't like to make that pillar any bigger than it than it already is. No. It's already a huge blind spot right, right in front of my truck. Uh, so I, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of the physical location of them. I, I just I think that's terribly hey. a, a terrible engineering. Now I have seen some really cool sled pull trucks where and highly modified trucks where they have them yeah, overhead. Love that. But no, that's love that. that. You know that that's your that's your opinion. wild wildly subjective. Yep. Uh, totally agree there. Um, which one is going to work? Honestly, if they're both working correctly, either one will work fine. Yeah. Uh, Reliability-wise, man, there's not an EGT probe on Earth that's going to make it a million no. miles. That's just Absolutely not a thing. Not. So, like, EGT probes are, like, 130 bucks from Edge. I think they're about 130 bucks from Miss Pro. I don't know if that includes the dial or yeah. just the probe. Um, what I would say, though, but is... You're, you're 100, 150 bucks for a probe. You're just going to go through those. It doesn't yeah. matter what you're reading it with. You're, you're going to yeah. burn those up. They're cost sitting wise, at 1000 
cost wise, the electronic age display is cheaper. You know, just just to kind of round it. Well, off. if you're paying if you're paying somebody to install, no, not even that. An EGT probe on average is you know 150 to 200 and some odd dollars. Fuel pressure gauge is a few hundred bucks. A boost gauge is a hundred, hundred and a half plus the pillar. That's more money. I, mean, I just rambled off 600, 650 bucks. I mean, you're 430 on an edge, and 130 on a probe. Yep. So like you're at 560 right there. And then the install is simplistic. Or very, like so. very. So so yeah, I, I I listen. You know, I I was just telling somebody today. I have an Edge Insight CTS2 in my BMW, although it's wildly fucking useless. Um, it reads almost nothing that I want to know. Uh, but I have it in there because you know I didn't know that when I got it. So so that's cool. Those are things that happen. Um, all right, I got another one coming up here. So we got Sam Gilbert. Uh, says, hey, big fan of the show. Found you guys on Spotify. Been listening to your earlier episodes for the past week or so. You guys got me thinking. I just bought an 01 Cummins NV4500 extended cab long box flatbed right at 300,000 miles. Got a couple of oil leaks, but no runnability issues. This is, you're into this. That's You're into this. Chris, Chris is down. Uh, currently, it's all stock except a f- for a four-inch straight pipe exhaust economy injectors and the wastegate is unhooked hell yeah brother this is this is you may have sold this guy this truck um <laughs> i'm building it into a service truck so i'm going to have uh, quite a bit of weight on it all the time plus a trailer here and there i'm wanting to put some more power in the old girl Nothing real insane because it's just a work truck, but enough so it's not struggling on hills and running high EGTs. I'm thinking stocker S475 compound, little bigger sticks, and a tuner? Question mark. Uh, also, before I planned on just rolling the bearings on in the bottom, but should I go ahead and go through the whole engine? Uh, and if so, how far should I go? Head studs, pistons, tougher rods, push tubes, valve springs, O-ring the head. This got a little wordy. Uh, just trying to get it all out there. Thanks in advance. Sorry if I was off mic a little bit, guys, but I think you'll be able to hear me. Um, Chris, this is another one, man. Just Cummins guys love asking these types of questions, Yeah, which, which is ironic to me because I feel like it's the most popular power platform to build on that's out there. And they're usually around this age where they've been out there the longest. They have. But yeah. but one of the problems with that is that there's so much misinformation. There's uh, so many so much bad advice that goes out there with it. I think guys get cluttered up with, with having 400 screaming you know, Cummins fans all saying to do 400 different things with our truck yeah so i think also, let's land this one on your steps yeah. this is your jam yeah. what would you do well i mean I, I for starters you know when you when you talk about the when you start talking about the newer trucks you know there's more direction i think and there there's more formality if you will um i think there's like more hard proof more structure yeah uh, there's more structure with the newer trucks the older trucks you know when you're talking second gen 12 valves second gen 24 valves it's like wild wild west town um regardless uh it hits home a little bit for me because years ago when i had my 0124 valve i bought numerous sets of injectors numerous sets of uh, different turbochargers uh based off of recommendations and they never were able to achieve what i was after in the drivability category yeah years have passed Proven some some things correct or incorrect. Um, Three hundred thousand miles. I mean, let, let's let's let let's just be realistic. That's a lot of fucking miles. That I believe that is the mark from the Cummins owner manual of when you are ready to do an engine rebuild, and you could straight up buy an engine rebuild kit from Cummins for those trucks yeah. uh, and do the standard rebuild. And to be honest with you, 
if I was this guy, that's probably what I would do. Yeah. But, like, mean, if you have the time, money, and resources and technical expertise to do that, 300,000 miles, there's no point in waiting. Now, we no. did just hear from Ryan Carbom, who's at 450 and throwing power at it now. Um, nine, almost 900 horsepower. Almost 900 horsepower. So he may, he may be going on a different path, which is he's using the truck differently. And I, I know, Ryan, if he pushes it too far, hey, he'll come back, he'll rebuild it. He knows, he knows what he's up to. This guy, if you're going to be using this truck for work, I go on the better safe than sorry. I do a stock. I, I would just literally buy a stock engine rebuild kit. I would do an engine rebuild on it, give you give you a chance to inspect everything. I don't think I would recommend this guy to have enough power in the truck to have to do anything anything beyond head studs. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think- clutch upgrade. Clutch upgrade, no, no brainer. Turbocharger stuff, just because the truck's going to be weighted down. I want to see EGTs in check. Um, I, I mean, think he's right, at, spot on with the the twin kit. Do they run S four seventy five stockers yeah, on the VPs, uh, or they go smaller. They go like four seventy ones. There's some four seventy five kits out there. I, mean, I would think we for can, what he's doing, yeah, the, I mean, smaller the smaller we can get that atmospheric charger, the, the smaller better. you can get the turbocharger, the better. I would do a lift pump on the truck. You know, head studs. I think are going to go a long way. The turbochargers, a clutch. Um, you know, if you want a little bit more, you could throw a little bit bigger set of injectors in it. I was going to say, what, what do they do for injectors on those? What, what's a mild set of injectors for towing? A mild set. Because you know he doesn't want to do all this work and then be stuck at whatever yeah. the stock fucking injectors a, are. A mild set that I've generally liked to do on those trucks are like a 7 by 9 sack nozzle. Um, it's like a, a 75 horse, 100 okay. horse style injector. Um, they really wake the trucks up and a sack nozzle has a cleaner burn so you're not going to have, with proper tuning, you're not going to have a bunch of uh, soot on the trailer and okay. soot out the back. Definitely going to need a tuner with all this. Definitely going to MM3 is what yep. we would recommend. That's what I would do. But, I mean, you could run, you know, um, you, you, you're going to put some money into it. But, I mean, you could have a respectable 350, 400 horsepower, you know, second-gen Dodge that will literally stand the test of time. You know, I know it's just we talked about all of those parts and then you ended it with three to four hundred horsepower. And I, I just my heart sank. Yeah. I mean, you got to look at it this way. I get it. When we had our when we had our 01 dually, um, it had a set of seven by 11 sacks, uh, which is like a, a, like 175, 200 horse injector. It had a Stealth 64 um, built trans head studs, a couple other little odds and ends. And that truck made 520 horsepower. You know, we're not we're not in common rail world. Right. This isn't common real world where you can literally, you know, make 500 horse with just a tune and hope the trans stays together. The nice part about the second gen uh, 24 valve Dodges are parts are extremely inexpensive. We're talking about injectors and, you know, automatically like a red flag comes up like, oh, man, you have to buy injectors. We're talking three hundred and fifty dollars for a set, a set, all six injectors, three hundred fifty to four hundred bucks. I mean, yeah, you know, that's cool. I'm just, but you know, it, it, the power is, it comes in a little differently. It's not the same as a common rail. I still have my. Uh, I just straight up, man, my me, heart for him. Me, if I was, if I was looking at this, or dumping that truck and upgrading to something with common rail injection, I think every listener who's heard more than one episode would know which way I would personally go. Yeah, I mean, but let, let I'll, I'll. If pitch, you love it, if you I'm love gonna, it, and you, pitch, and you own it, on, and this stop, is like stop, your, stop, your, this is a service your truck. I love it truck. Paul, this is a service truck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spin some at you. Do it. All right. Let's say this is a small shop, small business. Okay. The, the very, you know, it's just him solely. Sure. Right? You go and buy a high mileage common rail. Okay. It's gonna need 
a pump, injectors. It's going to need a lot more upkeep. It's thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. He probably got the truck for a pretty decent deal. He has to put minimal amount of money in as far as upkeep goes to keep the truck street worthy. So it's the cost per keeping the truck on the street. All these upgrades that he's looking to do is try to improve on the efficiency and the longevity of the truck. Well, let's let's do a quick little math math problem here. Um, he did say he just bought an 01 3500. Yeah. Roughly, what do you think one of these goes for? 300k on it. I mean, honestly, service bad. I mean, I you know, I'd say four grand. Okay, four I'd grand. Say four or five thousand for a four wheel drive cab and a half manual. Four to five thousand dollars. Okay, so so let's go on the light side. So you're four grand. I think you listed. I think we agree. Five thousand dollars in upgrades. Well, now here's here's a flip side, right? You take a common rail to to. He he said he wanted twins for for better air air control. So you're yep. going to be doing. So we're talking setup for setup, twins for twins, like kind of doing. Well, well, hold on, because that that's where I think this differs. Because okay. I think if you're starting with with basically what I'm what I'm going to land on here, I'll just jump to it. I think you're going to talk about ten grand buying the truck and upgrading the truck to get that VP truck up to ten grand three or four hundred horsepower, ten k. $10,000 common rail Cummins. All right, how about this? I, 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 bought, I, I, I bought my already, 07. I bought my 07 as an automatic yeah. with 348,000 miles. I spent $7,000 on it. I got it home. It needed injectors. It needed a pump and a trans. And, and that was rough. And that was rough. But that's most 350,000 mile common rail trucks. <sighs> so now you've blown past the $10,000 budget, right? Y- you did. I think. I, I think we're jumping the gun. And you haven't even gun. added any power to it yet. I think we're jumping the gun. Well, one, if the power goal is only three or 400 horsepower, <laughs> there's, I don't I don't need... That was my whole point. My whole but point it, was that you, well, you end up with, EGT a, with a nicer truck. The, the goal was EGT management. And even at Common Rail, at 450 horsepower towing, you're going to reap benefits of an upgraded turbocharger. Fair enough. So I, at, at the end of the day, there are guys that refuse Common Rail because of the components in which it costs to keep the truck on the street. Injectors, pump, things like that. VPs are known for injection pump issues as well. The VP44s, the I think you have a, a lot cheaper. of other lot of other problems with this th- this truck that's also an extra a, few years older. A, I agree. And also I, this, I, I, and I also it. that. Like I get it. I, get I, it. I think your cost of ownership or or risk assessment is pretty similar if your budget's around ten grand. Regardless, if you bought a five thousand dollar truck and five thousand of yeah. upgrades, or if you just went and bought a, t- a ten thousand dollar truck, I agree. I, I think you're. You, you're pretty much playing the same game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- that's our take on that. So, I won. <laughs> Justin? <laughs> Ty. Ugh. You're a punk bitch. Um, all right, Mike. Okay, I'm sorry. I, it's got to be Chris. He drove a Cummins forever. He's a Cummins guy. That's gross. Why would you ever Look tell Chris he won? Cummins Why guy. would you ever tell Chris he won? You know we have to work with this guy. He's got a tattoo what are on you his doing? ass of the Cummins. That I, <laughs> I regret seeing that. All right, Mike uh, DeSantis. Sure. Sorry, bud. Uh, says, I've been thinking of doing a compound setup on my truck. I do use my truck for work here and there and also like to play around at times. What would be my best route to take? Which compound setup would work best and give me the best bang for my buck? From turbos, fuel system, pump, injectors, and trans, uh, I have an 07 quad cab long bed 4x4 stock 68 EFI live with five settings and 240,000K on the clock. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris, I didn't jump on and post up a message just because we at Duramax Tuner Calibrated Power, we don't carry a twin kit for this truck. Uh, I know that there's a lot of guys out there. I also just know by 
some of the code in this that this is a truck we would not be allowed to tune. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to be my guess being here is that it's deleted because it's no seven and a half, six seven. That's just what people do. Um, on twin kits for this truck, I think my recommendation would be different than probably any other diesel we talk about, besides maybe like the eleven to to. 12, 11 to 14 Fords, which is, I would actually say, don't just go over the stock charger. Okay. Well, we, we did have a little bit of this discussion. Uh, yeah, we were, we were this just podcast. in this. Yeah. And I'm going to go a different direction. Right? You're going to say, keep the stocker in the valley. Can, yeah. can we start there? Can we, can we say, keep the stocker as your, your high pressure charger? Yeah, I would. I, I would go, I would not do that. I mean, can, I would. Can, can I so, give me your rundown first, and then I'll give you mine? Here's the thing, Paul. Uh, yes, the whole set actuator and on the HE351 VEs are known to be problematic. Okay, yeah. they are. They're expensive, um, as everything else is. Um, nothing's going to drive quicker. Nothing's going to spool up faster. You still get to utilize your exhaust brake feature anytime you do any variable vane style turbo drop and replacement on these year model trucks. You still have to deal with that whole set actuator. Now there are some companies out there that will allow you to put a fixed vane turbocharger on the truck and have an exhaust brake feature. Sure. Okay. Um, it's a lot of other moving components. We'll see what happens five, six years down the road on that. Not saying that it's good or not. I'm not mentioning any company in specific. But uh, it's a cool feature. It's a cool, badass product. It's an option. I would just rather prefer using the variable vein. Nothing's going to drive better. Okay? So with that, I would be recommending throwing an S400 over it with a piping kit, calling it a day. 475? 475. I mean, on, on uh, my 15, it's a 71-millimeter. It's a Drivability, awesome. EGT control, amazing. Those run the same turbo? Oh, seven and a half, fifteen. Size wise, yeah. There's same a couple size. little differences. I, I, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the turbochargers are very similar. Essentially yep. the same. Okay. Interesting. Uh yeah, no, I would do I would do an S three hundred, S four hundred compound kit. I would go probably with the smallest um S three sixty six. I mean, what maybe even maybe even smaller coaching coaching guys through this. Um, I like the four hundred on four hundred, so a four sixty four or four sixty four four seventy five four seventy two. I've driven a bunch of trucks like that. They they've run really 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 well. Those chargers have gotten better over the years. So, going going with the four hundred frame and well, the and bigger down, displacement of the motor right. kind of helps you know compensate for some of that. So, as so well. there's some options out there. That that I think that's my thing. Yeah, you're going to run more cost in that kit. Mm-hmm. Like. You, you just are. It's going to be more expensive. I do believe you're going to have a better longevity out of the truck based on based on what the current options well, are in the market. You're some, and, that mean, could change tomorrow. I also hold on, a, hold on. I also haven't tested some of the new stuff that's out, like the ATS VFR yeah. turbos. They could have the answer if if, if that turbo works. It would very quickly become my recommendation. I just simply haven't got my hands on one no, yet. And I mean, you know, per your recommendation, you're not wrong because you are simplifying the setup. There's less moving parts on the vehicle that could potentially fail. And I'm not saying you're right or wrong. Again, technology is always advancing. Things are improving in this industry. And you give you know, up turbo braking. I, I, I just want to say, I don't tow a ton, so turbo braking's it, not a thing to me. I don't give a shit. Awesome. Like, let I, me, it, let it, me tell you, I Paul. I get it. I get it. You don't I get it because you don't tow that much. don't care that much. I just... Hey, I love exhaust brake features. It is awesome. They work extremely well. I'm a big, big fan. And and, and this is where and I would never a year ago I would have said I was just going to say brake, this is I don't care the difference of what you use a vehicle for yeah. is going to matter on what setup you think more appropriately matches yeah. what you want. Injectors, 
man, you you got a solid Cummins in there. Um, I I would do probably a mild set of injectors, a mild pump. I do like a ten mil Exergy pump. I do uh, um. I don't even know a set of maybe 60s just to really push the limits and have some fun. I probably wouldn't go bigger than that. No. Uh, I don't think you're going to need it. Uh, like you said, six, seven wide torque ba- curve anyway. So yeah, no, they, you're, they come in the power nice and low in the RPM window. You're just in using it. I would hit up Whirly about a, a twin turbo kit. Absolutely. That's easy money. I do traction nice bars kits. from Whirly. Yep. I get it powder coated the colors I want. It, yep. It'd be a bad motherfucker. It would look nasty when I flip the hood and run all extra G fuel components. I probably hit up. God, 68, man. So I guess I'm dealing with the RevMax. That, that's just my my personal thing. Uh, I know there's there's probably a few other options out there. I think RevMax has a good name in the 68 RFE market. Man, they um, didn't even pay you to say that. I know, right? Yeah, you guys. Oh, I just want to say RevMax, if you hear this, uh, send that check. Um, but but for real, that, that's what I would do with this truck. To me, that, that would be a home run truck that I would be in love with for a long time. I agree. All right. Uh, just one more here today, guys, and then we're going to wrap this up. This one is from Jerry Haveman. Here's another question. When towing my 10,000-pound trailer, my EGTs are 1,100 to 1,200 sustained. Is this too high? EGT probe and manifold. At 65 to 70 miles per hour, flat ground, very near sea level, in middle of Indiana, 35-inch tires, 373 gears, stock exhaust, stock drivetrain, with edge juice, with attitude, set on stock. Totally fine. Yeah. Bro, Jerry, you're good. You're good. That that's exactly what we would expect to see. Yep. Honestly, um, the the only thing he didn't tell me is what truck he has, but I actually know from a previous post that it's an 06 Cummins with a 48 RE. Hell yeah. Um, th- this is totally expected. Honestly, 10,000 pound load. Yeah, it's I, I've seen cooler EGTs towing that at sea level. Sure, a little bit, not a huge deal. Boost yeah. us the truck. I doubt you're going to find any problems. Yeah, I mean, in some scenarios, tuning might actually help. Maybe not that tuner but some tuning might actually help alleviate a little bit of those temperatures sure but you know nonetheless i mean we're right in line with where we would expect to be 1350 and this is a real hard one for people to understand i think we've talked about it in the past and that's why i wanted to bring it up today 1350 we call your bailout number that's your that's your oh shit something's gonna break number bailout number um so if you're at 1350 you want to start backing your foot out of the throttle and slowing down you don't got to come to a stop uh, you you want to back yourself out of throttle or shift gears appropriately, get some more RPM that can sometimes help combat uh, high EGTs if we get that turbine in the in the uh, turbo moving. But in general, running your truck at 1,100 degrees or running your truck at 900 degrees sustained will make no difference on reliability. Uh, so there, there's, there's no benefit to operate your truck, uh, e- even pre-emissions, there's no benefit to operate your truck at a lower EGT number than anything beyond the safe. Uh, the only reason we would watch EGTs is because it gives us an indication of when something's about to go wrong, yeah. or maybe something minor has gone wrong, uh, as opposed to like engine coolant temp, which tells us something is broken and you're fucked, right. is, is really the way I see it. I've never seen engine coolant temp spike to like 260, 280, and then not have to have a huge major repair bill. Uh, whereas in EGTs, I've seen them hit 1,700 degrees, 1,750 back out of it and the truck's totally fine and yep. there's there's no long-term damage so guys i hope this was a, a fun episode for you this is one of the the first times in a long time that we we haven't had a guest on the show and we we haven't really done any sort of interviewing or anything mm-hmm. like that we want to do a few more of these a month or i'm sorry a few more of these maybe one a month or so yeah, before the end of the year as, as we start to go through to the end of the year i will say big shout out uh kj jones the whole diesel power challenge crew you can now vote or i'm sorry you can now submit your truck 
to be voted on. So how it works, Diesel Power Challenge, you will go and buy a magazine. You will fill out an entry form about your vehicle, submit it with, I believe, with pictures. Uh, and then the Diesel Power Challenge crew will go through and pick out what trucks are going into the article for voting. Once you've been approved for voting, uh, your truck then goes into one of the up, or one of the issues. Uh, people then tear out a mail-in ballot or photocopy a mail-in ballot. I believe voting online, they have that this year? I can't. I can't remember if we have voting online this year. We will verify for you. But then the trucks get voted on. The ones who win, they get to go to Diesel Power Challenge, uh, and I'm sure I'll be there to do some announcing for that as well. You probably will be. <laughs> no, you're definitely gonna be there. Yeah. Well, at least two thirds of this room will be at Diesel Power Challenge 2020, and we are super excited for it. <clears throat> All right. On that note, this has been Chris, <laughs> and I'm Paul. Thanks, Thanks for listening. For listening. Funnel cake in the urinal has to be clean. <laughs> Sorry. Do you on. call it the funnel cake? Yeah, isn't that what they call it? The urinal cake? Funnel cake? It's all the same.